Since everything asserted by the inspired authors or sacred writers must be held to be asserted by the Holy Spirit, it follows that the books of Scripture must be acknowledged as teaching solidly, faithfully, and without error that truth that God wanted put into sacred writings for the sake of salvation. Which means that everything in this Bible is true. Now we're going to get back to, because some people say, well, it can't all be true. Yes, it is. It's the truth that's necessary for salvation. This book was written to help us get saved. <laughs> you know, It was not written as a history book. It was not written as a biology book. It wasn't written as an astronomy book. It was written as a book to help us get saved. And so that's the truth that's in the Bible. So people will say, well, is everything in the Bible true? And I say, yes. Is everything in the Bible an exact fact? No. You know, because it's not meant to be that. So in other words, we talked about the story of creation. Was the world created in seven days? No! <laughs> the world was created in, in 150 million years or something. So we understand the scriptures differently. However, there's a truth that's necessary for salvation in the story of creation. All right? It's not that the world was created in seven days. The truth necessary for salvation is that God created. That God saw that it was good. That God created it in order. Okay? People argue about the Noah's Ark story. Okay, Did, was there a flood that covered the whole world? No, no, probably not. Scientists have told us probably not. Now, was there a humongous flood that took over a certain part of the world, which for those people was the whole world? Yes. You know, you ask the people that lived in New Orleans around Katrina, the whole world flood? Yes, yes, the whole world flooded. But again, we don't care so much about the flood. What's the truth that's necessary for salvation? What's the truth in the story of Noah's Ark? That God stepped in, that God saved people, that God made a covenant with people that he would never violate again, that, that God wanted to, to call them out of their sin. Okay? So all through the scriptures, all through the scriptures, that's how we have to read it, that it's containing the truth that's necessary for salvation, the truth that God wants us to know. Like in a sense, when we were kids, you know, Aesop's fables, you know, and, and other stories that we were told. Like, I mean, you read children's stories, there's phenomenal, phenomenal lessons that are in there, okay? It doesn't mean that, you know, it's true that the rabbits were having a tea party. No, rabbits don't have tea parties. But there's a truth in there. Now, I'm not con con, uh, comparing the scriptures with childhood storybooks, but we have to understand the, the context in which the word is written, okay? God wants to speak to his people. So this book, this Bible, contains the truth necessary for salvation. That we understand that that's the truth of this book. That's the truth of this book, that it gives us the truth necessary for salvation. That from the very beginning of the pages of Genesis, right on through to the pages of Book of Revelation, God is speaking his truth to us, showing us who God is, showing us who we are. <laughs> Showing us how we're to live, how we're to be as a community. That's the truth that's here. So, how do we really know that this is the Word of God? A lot of times when we talk with people, they'll say, well, come on, how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? Um, and people can be rather cynical uh, about this. I had found this across the, this book, uh, this uh, article on the internet at a uh, website, as you see at the top there, www.allaboutthejourney.org uh, slash Bible Manuscript. And what this article uh, talks about is how, how valid 
this book is from a purely historical perspective. Okay? Um, again, if you just read that first paragraph with me. Dramatically, when the, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'll just, you just read along with me. You don't have to read it out loud. Dramatically, when the Bible manuscripts are compared to other ancient writings, they stand alone as the best-preserved literary works of all antiquity. Remarkably, there are thousands of existing Old Testament manuscripts and fragments copied throughout the Middle East, Mediterranean, and European regions that agree phenomenally with each other. In addition, these texts substantially agree with the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, which was translated from Hebrew to Greek sometime during the 3rd century BC. The Dead Sea Scrolls, discovered in Israel in the 40s and 50s, also provide astounding evidence for the reliability of the ancient transmission of the Jewish scriptures in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century B.C. Okay? So in other words, what they're saying, just to argue from a historic point of view, that these are truly ancient manuscripts, that this was not made up at some point by the church in the, in the 300s or in the a year 1000 or, or even more recently, that this book dates back to the ancient world. If you just jump down all the way uh, to the fourth paragraph there, Homer, because this really just blew my world away. I mean, have any of you ever heard anyone say, oh, William Shakespeare, I don't think he wrote Romeo and Juliet. I don't think that's a real play. You know, oh, uh, you know, ancient Greek plays, they're not real. No one questions those things. No one questions, everyone accepts that William Shakespeare wrote his plays, right? Where do you hear this. Homer's Iliad, the most renowned book of ancient Greece, is the second best-preserved literary work of all antiquity. There's 643 copies of Homer's Iliad discovered to date. But in those copies, there's 764 disputed lines, compared with only 40 in the New Testament. So people argue over whether Homer really wrote this or really wrote that, whereas in the Bible, very few. In fact, many people are unaware that there are no surviving manuscripts of any of William Shakespeare's original plays. We do not have one thing that William Shakespeare actually wrote of his 37 plays. And he was only writing in the 1600s, right? On top of that, um, th there's lots of gaps that people ought to jump in and say, okay, well, we think William Shakespeare wrote this, okay? So William Shakespeare, we're not sure, and that was only in the 1600s. Some parts of the Bible are going back 4,000 years, okay? And yet we have them all together. So when people say, oh, is this book valid or not? This is a very valid book. Now, when I say that, we have no original books of the Bible. We do not have the pieces of paper that King David wrote the Psalms on. We do not have the manuscripts that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their book down. Why not? Why don't we have the originals? They found them in languages. Somebody had them. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls are very ancient, but they're not original. Why don't we have any originals? It was inspiration? No. Spirit? Someone wrote it down. It's a very, it's a practical answer. It's not a spiritual answer at all. Oh. Yeah, what they wrote on deteriorated. Oh. You know, the, you, know you go to the, the Declaration of Independence was written in what, 1776. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to the, the, I think I moved it now to the Smithsonian. It's in this glass case, perfectly temperatureized and everything else. Like, how are we going to expect that a piece of paper from 4,000 years ago is still there. Right. You go to the University of Pennsylvania archaeology, they'll have fragments of little pieces of paper that somehow preserve the Dead Sea Scrolls, very ancient texts, actually older than the New Testament, that survived because they got put in jars and buried, right. and that's how they survived. But the thing is, it's unrealistic to expect that we would have these, these, the originals. So we don't have the original Bible anywhere. Okay? The oldest Bibles we have, 
oldest versions of the New Testament date to around the year like 120, 140, so still pretty old, you know, and, and that's only parts of it, though. Um, the other part of, of how we're able to say, um, you know, is this really God's word, is by looking at the book itself. You know, either this really is God's word, or it's the greatest piece of fraud ever committed, you know, because the way it fits together, you know, the New Testament quoting the Old Testament, different parts of the Old Testament quoting each other, Paul quoting the Gospels, Paul quoting the Old Testament, it's the hand of God. The hand of God is all over this. And people will say, well, there's inconsistencies in the Bible. I'm not sure about that. Not if you're looking at it from the perspective of what is the truth necessary for salvation. Because there's no inconsistencies in the truth, right? Ever. The truth is the truth is the truth. Um, now, you know, so we, we already said, is everything in the Bible true? Yes, as long as we understand that it's the truth necessary for salvation. Now, how did it become a book? Okay, because that was the question I know for years I had. Like, okay, we say it's God's word. Well, how did it get on paper? Okay. Um, the, the one thing we want to say is that we do not believe in what's called divine dictation. Okay, divine dictation. And sometimes you'll see paintings and statues. Uh, there's some statues at St. Charles Seminary where I studied of St. John. You know, and he's standing there larger than life, and he's got this, this tablet out and this big feather pen, and he's standing there looking up to heaven like, okay, God, what's the next word? You know, what's the next word? And he's writing down exactly what God says to him. Now, that'd be beautiful, and maybe God does work in some cases with people like that. But usually that's not how it happens, okay? It's a very simple step. Um, you know, and, and the Old Testament and the New Testament are a little different in this regard. The Old Testament... Um, we're not sure on a lot of things. Some things are things that the prophets wrote or, or people wrote down that the prophets said. Okay? The Psalms, definitely written by someone. We, we believe King David or someone with King David written to praise God, and so they were written in that way. Some parts of the Old Testament written as poetry, the Song of Songs, uh, the wisdom writings and the Proverbs, just a variety of sayings that, that people were inspired by God and, and they wrote them down. Uh, we say the first five books of the Bible... Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, and Numbers. Uh, we call those the, the Torah, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The Jewish people very much revere uh, the, the Torah, the five books of the Bible. So when you, if you were to go into a synagogue, they would have something that looks like our tabernacle, you know, a big sort of elaborate thing with, that opens up with candle next to it. But they place, instead of the Eucharist, they place the Torah written on big scrolls. So if you're ever invited to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. But when a Jewish child makes their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, they're reading from the Torah for the first time. So it's very elaborate. They go and they take out the Torah scrolls and they go over and they open it up and they read them. Little, in little segments, right, little segments. So the, the Old Testament, and again, they'll say the Torah was written all by Moses. Does anyone know the problem with believing that the entire thing was written by Moses? What's that? Well, well, Moses was there, but we're not sure that he wrote the entire thing because at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, or Numbers rather, it describes Moses' death. So how did he write about his own death? Again, it's not a problem. Again, people hear that and they say, ah, oh, see, the whole thing's a fraud. Okay? Now, let's be honest. Do you think that uh, President Bush or President-elect Obama write all their own speeches? No. No. They have other people who are writing their speeches, okay, who, who help them. 
who helped them. Now, so technically, is it George Bush or Barack Obama's words? Well, yeah, because they make them their own. Well, again, in the Old Testament world, that was part of it. So some of the writings from Paul, you know, you'll see sometimes write, this is in my own hand, well, which means that others weren't. So others were writing the letter uh, in, in his mind. So again, that, that sometimes becomes a problem for us, but for the ancient world, that was a very normal thing, that the, the, the people thought the same as this person, and, and so they wrote it. But just to focus on the Gospels in particular, which as Christians, you know, they really become the core of how we find out who Jesus is, which is so important. Jesus lived. You know, he lived on this earth for 33 years, and next week we'll start talking about Jesus' life. But he grew up, he talked to people, he went from town to town, he shared with them stories, he performed miracles, um, he got the Pharisees angry. He got the Romans angry. Eventually they said enough is enough, and they went after him. They nailed him to a cross, and he died. But other people saw him. He rose from the dead. Right? And throughout his life, he obviously shared other things about his life. He shared uh, or had Mary share some things. And St. Joseph, his foster father, obviously shared some things. And so Jesus had this life, right? and people saw him. Some people wrote down what Jesus said and did. Not a whole lot of people wrote down what he said and did. Why not? A lot of them couldn't write. And even if they could write, a lot of people couldn't read. So again, this is a very different culture. A different culture. Whenever I talk about the beginnings of the Bible, I always think it's very good to bring back uh, from the 1970s, Alex Haley's miniseries, Roots. Okay, do you remember how it starts? How does Roots start? At the very beginning scene is the old man sitting down to tell the story, remember? And he begins to tell the story a long, long time ago, I think he starts. Well, this man begins to tell the story of generations of his relatives going back, okay? We live in a world where, like, if I don't have it written down in front of me, I'm probably not going to remember what I'm supposed to say, you know? I need to write everything down, right? And, and so, but ancient world, people had much better memories. You know, not too long ago, my grandparents, who if they were still alive, would be 110 or 115. But when I was kids, I would sit down with them, and they would tell story after story in great detail because they were, they were part of that type of a tradition. Okay? And when you go to cultures where people, for whatever reason, can't read and write, they're going to be better storytellers because that's what they have to do. And so people would have witnessed Jesus and then began telling the story. They would have gone home and gathered people and said, let me tell you about Jesus. And they would have shared that story. And so people saw what Jesus did. People heard what Jesus said. And they began to tell other people. Over time, people began to write it down. When people who, who were able to write were, were around. And so that began the, the writing down uh, of, of the word of God, of, of the story of Jesus. But first we call, the first stage I guess is Jesus' life. The second stage is what we'll call the oral tradition, when the story was told to people. The third part becomes the written tradition, when they began to write it down. And the Gospels in particular, there are how many Gospels? Four. 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 Names? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why do we have four Gospels? Why not just have one? Four different people are writing them, so that's why we have four. But why do you think God inspired four different people? 
Good, they were speaking to different people at different times. Uh, Matthew's gospel is being written for a Jewish community. Okay? Uh, Luke's gospel being written for a non-Jewish community. Mark's gospel, the oldest gospel, is also the shortest. It's telling the basic part of the story. Mark's gospel has no mention of Jesus' birth. Right? That, was, that was later in Matthew and Luke. John's gospel doesn't mention it either because he's coming later. His, his, his gospel, and he knows that people have already met, read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so he doesn't have the need uh, to, to write those stories, parts of the story down. And so he moves on to uh, some other things. Okay? Um, so, so this is how the word of God goes then. So, so people saw the story. They started telling the story to people, passing along, oral tradition. And then eventually it begins to be written. The important thing that we always need to remember, though, is that the Holy Spirit was guiding this the whole time. The Holy Spirit was guiding Jesus as he did and said what he did and, and, and spoke. The Holy Spirit was guiding people as they, as they witnessed it so that they would remember it as they passed it along in the oral tradition. The Holy Spirit was guiding people as they began to write it down. And the Holy Spirit guided Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as they committed the words to paper, the words that we have uh, right now. Okay, So that's how the Word of God came down to us. That's the, how the Word of God came down to us. All right? As I said, this is a, a New American Bible. And if you go to a, a religious bookstore or even any bookstore, you'll see, you know, there's King James Version of the Bible, there's New Jerusalem, there's New American, there's Good News, there's Today's Woman, there's, you know, <laughs> a, a ton of translations, okay? Um, and so we can sometimes say, well, how do we get different translations? Well, obviously, if any of you, you know, some of you grew up speaking a different language, and you know that, if, if, you know, you could take... Um, you know, we'll take a, a book that's been written in Jamaican, and then you have five different people translate it. What are the chances that they're all going to be exactly the same? No, because people are going to understand them a little bit differently. Okay, they're going to put them in different words, and so that's what happens. Um, and and so we can we can say that some translations are better than other translations, uh, but we have to understand the audience that they're trying to get to. A book like the Good News Bible. The idea of that is to make it as simple as possible so that people can really understand what it is. However, sometimes it's going to change the words and you're going to get the exact meaning. No. Okay? Um, sometimes they're going to look at the, the youth study Bible. So they try to put things in, in words that young people would sort of understand. And so Jesus sort of comes out a little hipper than he would in the New American Bible. Okay? Um, so again, if we're doing Bible study, we want a New American Bible, a New Jerusalem Bible, um, maybe a New Revised Standard Bible, NRVSV it's called. Um, you know, but for these others, for reading the Bible, you know, okay, you know, no problem. I always tell people, you know, they say to me, what's the best Bible? And I said, whichever one you're reading, you know, whichever one you're reading. Now, we have to do say that there are uh, Catholic Bibles and Protestant Bibles, though, okay, uh, in that there is a difference in the books. Yes. And this goes back to Martin Luther and some other things. Most Protestant Bibles that you buy now will say uh, the, the Holy Bible with the Apocrypha, which means it has all the same books as the Catholic Bible. At heart, and this is at 6b there, um, has to do with the Old Testament. The New Testament in a Catholic Bible and a Protestant Bible are exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. 
However, the Catholic version of the Bible has 73 books, and, and those 73 books have been in our Bible since the, you know, 100, all right? The Protestant Bible has six, and there has to do with um, six books of the Old, seven books of the Old Testament, the book of Tobit, Judith, 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, Wisdom of Solomon, Sirach, Ecclesiastes, uh, and Baruch, okay? So these are referred to as the Apocrypha. Martin Luther, when he led the Protestant Reformation, removed those books from the Old Testament because he said the Jewish people did not use them. And in some senses, that's true. If you were to buy a Jewish Bible, which is just the Old Testament or the Hebrew Testament, some would not have that in it. However, the reason why, so why do the Catholics have it? Well, the Jewish community where Jesus was, when Jesus was alive in first century Palestine, had those seven books. And so when the Catholic Church was putting together its Bible, it said, well, we're going to use the Old Testament books that Jesus himself had. So, is it a big issue? Not so much anymore, because Protestants will say, no, we, we accept those books as well. So that was part of the issue. The Septuagint was when the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek uh, for the Greek-speaking people um, who had spread throughout the world because of persecution. They, they, they had this new version of the Bible, and so that's... Martin Luther went with the Septuagint um, when he formed his church, and they didn't add those other because they had not been written in Hebrew. Right? Uh, uh, great theologians of our time, a man by the name of Scott Hahn, he was a Presbyterian minister. A Presbyterian minister, and Scott Hahn decided he was going to go to a Catholic Mass for the first time. And he said he could not believe when he sat in Mass how much scripture was being read. You know, that throughout the entire Mass was one reference to Scripture after another. I mean, even just the words that we say at the beginning of Mass, may the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. They're words from St. Paul. They're words from St. Paul. The Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Crying out three times is what the angels do in the book of Revelation. The, the Gloria uh, is what the angels sang at the uh, birth of Christ. Okay? And then, of course, an Old Testament reading, the Psalm, a New Testament reading, the Gospel, all from the Scriptures. Okay? Um, and then parts of the Eucharistic prayer, obviously taken right out of the Gospel. So, so much Scripture uh, in the Mass. And so, I will tell you this. Under no circumstances do you go home with your Bible and say, you know what? Father Chris gave such a great talk. I'm going to really get into reading the Bible. And so I'm going to open up to page one and start reading the book of Genesis. You're going to make it to about Genesis 3 and be like, I can't do this anymore. Right? Um, and, and, you'll, and then people will start getting into other, some other things, like Exodus, and you start reading about the law and this and that, and you're like, oh, no. You know? Um, it, it's tough. It's tough. If you're looking for somewhere to start, honestly, the Gospels. Start with St. Matthew. Just read it, and read it in short versions. The Bible is not a novel. It's not meant to be sit down and read cover to cover. There are people who do it, and God bless them. God bless them. All right? But that comes after a period of time. But if you're, if, as we begin to read the story of Jesus, that's where it all begins. That's what matters most. You know? So to read some of the Gospels, read Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early church. Maybe begin to read Paul. Okay? Of course, Bible study is always great. Because, of course... The Word of God is meant for God's people, and so what better way to understand the Word than to do it um, as God's people together. We always read the Bible with the church. You know, It's the church's book. It was the church who put together the Bible. 
and it's the church who helps us understand it. Uh, kind of borrowed from uh, a Bible study series called Little Rock Scripture Study. And Little Rock gives you four questions when you read a verse of Scripture or a, a section of Scripture. That after you read it, you ask yourself four questions. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? And what am I going to do with it? And I love those four questions. You, know, you read, read just a short story of the gospel, or even the, the gospel that's going to be for the upcoming Sunday. You read that and ask those questions. What does it say? What are the words on the page? What do they mean? And sometimes we're going to have a tough time understanding it. You know, uh, the Bibles, the New American Bible that I gave you has footnotes. So down at the bottom, they sometimes are explaining certain things that are being said in there. That's always helpful, of course, the Internet. There are some very good Internet sites that help us understand the Scripture. But really it comes down to what does it mean to me? I can know a lot of Scripture. I can know Scripture in and out. But if it's not changing my life, if it's not having an impact, if it's not making me the person that God wants me to be so I can be saved, why bother? Why bother? 